If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Will, and I've had the privilege of serving as a pastor of this church for the last seven and a half years. And today is my final Sunday worship service as the pastor of this church. Um, now, to be clear, I will be here this Saturday for our Christmas Eve service, and I will be serving as pastor through the end of the year, which means the next two Wednesday prayer gatherings, I'll be there, okay? So this is not the end for me, but this is the last Sunday service uh, that I have an opportunity like this to open up God's Word uh, and teach to you from the Scriptures. And I've been thinking a lot about what I should say in this moment. And, you know, my first thought was, what's the last thing that I want to teach these people? What's the last lesson I want to leave them with as their pastor? But the reality is, the more I think about it, um, in this final moment together, I don't know if there's anything left I can teach you. I hope that I've been faithful in teaching the scriptures over the last seven and a half years, and it's like cramming for a test. If, if you're trying to learn something the night before a test, you probably didn't do a good job all semester uh, to begin with. I hope I've been faithful in teaching the scriptures over the last seven and a half years. And so today, I don't want to teach you anything new or give you any final lessons. What I want to express to you today is what you have taught me. I remember the very, phone, the very moment that I became a New Yorker. I had sold, we sold nearly everything we owned. Um, you know, we packed what was left of our belongings in a U-Haul and I drove all the way across the country. And after two days of driving, I finally reached the Verrazano Bridge where I realized for the first time that back then it was $16 to cross. I said, uh-oh, we're not in uh, Kansas anymore. Uh, it's going to cost a little bit to live in this place. But as I was driving over the Verrazano Bridge um, and as I was crossing into Bay Ridge, you could see all of Bay Ridge kind of in the the windshield of the U-Haul. Um, I'm a pretty sentimental guy. You guys know this. And so I took my iPod out and I began playing that, uh, you know that song by Chris Tomlin called God of This City? Greater things are still to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. And I'm playing that and I'm just praying to God, crying out to God. I'm like, God, use me to show the people of New York City your glory. God, use me to teach them something. That was my prayer as I was driving over the Verrazano Bridge. And I certainly hope that God has answered the prayer in the way that I prayed. I, I hope that he has used me to have some kind of impact on this city and hopefully in your lives. And I hope I've been able to teach you something about his word and about his character but I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. I look back on that moment and I realize that God answered my prayer um, by giving me more than I asked for. I asked that God would use me to teach you something, but in reality, God has used you to teach me far more. And he's used this city to teach me so much about his character, and he's used this church to teach me so much about the value and the hope and the potential of the local church. And so what I want to do this afternoon is I want to express to you all the lessons you have taught me. And I want to encourage you to continue being this type of church as you move into a season of transition. And one thing I do want to say is I hope I have developed a reputation as an expositional Bible teacher. Every week we verse by verse through the scriptures. 
that's not what this is today. So if I were teaching a preaching class, I would tell young preachers not to do what I'm about to do. <laughs> okay, normally the, the, it's take one passage of scripture and teach it for what it is. But today I'm just going to give you rapid fire thoughts from my heart. Uh, but there will be plenty of scripture. The first thing I want you to see is, the first thing I want to express to you that you have taught me is that God multiplies our humble gifts for his glory. In the Gospels, there's this famous account of Jesus feeding a crowd of 5,000 people. You've probably heard this story at some point if, you're, if you've been in church uh, at any point in your life. It's a situation. There's thousands of people. They're there to hear Jesus preach. They want to see what Jesus is all about. And the disciples look, it's lunchtime, and everybody's hungry. And you know what happens when people get hungry and there's no food? They started to get, there's a word for this, they get hangry. And so there's crowds are rustling and everything, and the disciples look out over the crowds, and they start to panic. They turn to Jesus, they say, Jesus, how in the world are we going to feed all these people? We don't have any money. We don't have anything. And in John chapter 6, for those of you who are in our in Crossroads students, you all missed this in the Christmas party today in the trivia question. One of Jesus' disciples came up to him and said, this, a little boy has brought something. You, can, you students, you remember this? There was a tri- they did trivia today at their Christmas party. And the question was, who was the disciple that found the little boy with the, the loaves and the fish? The answer is Andrew. The answer is Andrew. But in John chapter 6, verse 9, Andrew comes and says to Jesus, says, Jesus, we don't have a lot, but there is this one little boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. But then Andrew says, but what's that for so many people? What, what can this small little humble gift of fish and bread, how can this feed so many people? It's too small. It's too humble of a gift. But John chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. The boy has five barley loaves, two fish. And the question Andrew asked was, what is this for so many people? But the lesson of the scriptures is that in the hands of the Lord, little offerings are much. And in the hands of the Lord, even our smallest gifts can give witness to his glory. And I have seen this same story play out so many times over the years at Crossroads. Moments where we look out over our city, we look out over our neighborhood, and we say, how are we going to feed these people? How are we going to reach these people? How are we going to love our neighbors? How are we going to serve our neighbors? How are we we going to demonstrate God's glory? How are we going to make it through COVID? How are we going to do this when we're just a little church in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn? We have an average budget. We don't have a building. How are we going to do this? How can God accomplish mighty things to look like If we saw 150 of our neighbors come to an Easter extravaganza and we're able to bless them and their families, what would that be like? And we were all like, well, that's a lot of people. I don't know. We're just, it's just us. We just, you know, we're we're just, it's just us. But we gathered that week before the event in our office. We crammed the office full of people and we began to pray this big, bold prayer. God, 
send 150 of our neighbors. Could you do that? Just, we need 150 neighbors. And you, for those of you who are here, you realize what a bold prayer that felt like. That felt like we were asking God for a miracle. And then I remember for that Saturday, it was time for the extravaganza. Um, our leaders had said, Will, you've done everything we need you to do. You just stay out of the way. You hang out. You come, show up at like at one o'clock when the event starts. You know, you, we, we don't need you, you know. And then I, I, so I was relaxing with my kids. My wife was serving. She was volunteering that day. And then I got a call from one of our leaders that said, Will, you've got to get here right now. I said, what's going on? They said, it's an hour and a half before the event starts and there's already 400 people lining up. We don't have enough eggs. And so what I did, eggs for 400. And she said, all right, I'm praying. She got her little prayer chain of people praying. And then what I did is I was on my bike and I went to every pharmacy, every 99 cent store in this neighborhood. And I'm not kidding you, I was driving down Third Avenue on my bike with bags. This was back in New York when you could still get plastic bags, you know, can't do that anymore. But I had just bags on my handlebars with every single plastic egg in this neighborhood. And we got there, and by the end of that day, a thousand of our neighbors had showed up. Many of you, that's where you heard about this church for the first time. And every year, that event has just continued to grow. It's how we've reached so many people in our neighborhood. It's one of the ways that our neighborhood knows that there is a church in this city that loves them and cares for their family. And God, and every year, your little humble gift of, you know, our, our, our offerings to pay for that, your gifts to give up your Saturday to face paint or lay out blue tarps and handmade signs and hula hoops and games and running up and down the hill dressed in a sonic costume, all of those things, little humble gifts. God has multiplied those things in such incredible ways to, bring, to give witness to his glory throughout this neighborhood. I think about um, our opportunity fund that we have as a church. You know, we're a church of less than 200 people. But a few years ago, we said, hey, we've, we've been portable for way too long. We've been renting facilities all over this neighborhood. We met in so many different places. And we just began to feel like God was leading us to start saving so that we could have a down payment or have some money to put toward a lease or for the purchase of a facility one day. And we asked this church, and this was in the middle of COVID, when COVID, 40% of our church had left the city. And it was just a few of us left. And we said, would, would you guys consider giving? There's no building to give to. There's no vision. We just simply want to be ready if God puts an opportunity in front of us. And we said, would you give to an opportunity fund? And this little church raised over $400,000 that year. Little gifts, God multiplies for his glory. You've taught me that. Second thing that this church has taught me is that prayer is the engine of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People always ask, what is God's will for my life? There it is. Pray. <laughs> it's pray with God's people. This, is a written to, this wasn't written to an individual. This was written to the church. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. That is God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to pray with God's people. And over the years, I've told this story multiple times 
But in the 19th century in London, there was a, a Baptist preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He had a great beard, by the way. Um, and God placed a very unique anointing on the preaching ministry of Charles Spurgeon and the church that he pastored. And the church was fast growing. It was one of the first churches of 2,000 people in church history that we know of, kind of modern mega church, you know, but it wasn't. Um, but people were coming to faith in Jesus all throughout London. And uh, these people were perplexed. Everybody was like, how in the world is this church exploding in growth and reaching out as people in center city London? That's like secular part of the city, you know? How is God doing this? And so on one occasion, a reporter visited Spurgeon and went into his office and said, Pastor Spurgeon, what is the secret to your success? And he grabbed the reporter, took his reporter down to the prayer meeting and said, this is the engine room of Metropolitan Tabernacle. That was the name of his church. Spurgeon said that everything that God has done at the Metropolitan Tabernacle of London was first prayed for down in the engine room. And you know, it grieves me that I won't be the pastor of this church when we finally do purchase that facility. Although I do expect an invitation, you know. I'll sit in the back and just smile my head off when I see us kind of dedicate that new building when that day comes. But one of the dreams I always had for a facility was to have our own prayer room. And one of the things I always thought that I would want to do if I were the pastor of this church and we were to build a facility is put a big, huge sign on that prayer room door that says, Crossroads Engine Room. This is where it happens. But here's what I've learned. You don't need four walls to have an engine room. You just need God's people praying. And when I look back on all that God has done here at Crossroads, it is evident that every single thing he has done in this church and through this church, he did it because we first asked for it in prayer. And most of the time, we asked for something, and he did exceedingly more. Extravaganza. Give us 150. Boy, wasn't that bold. That felt so bold. I think this year we had 15, 1,700. I remember um, one of our, our last prayer meeting before COVID. Some of you were there. Um, this was in January of 2020. We, we had, it was one of the best prayer meetings I think we've, I, we had in my time at Crossroads. And I remember meeting in our office space. It was packed out. COVID was running rampant through the city. We didn't even know it. We're all gathered in a tiny room. And I remember we prayed, we, we celebrated that our church had become self-sustainable that year. That our church was a financially independent, self-sustaining church. We celebrated that. And then we said, we don't know what the future holds, but we're praying that God will strengthen us and sustain us. And what we didn't know is that the greatest test in the history of this church was just a few weeks away. And God strengthened us through COVID. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there are countless numbers of churches that didn't make it through COVID. Churches that are three times the size of ours, that the church people left the city, never came back, church lost its funding, and, and the church closed its doors. God sustained us through COVID. We didn't know what we were praying for that night in January, but God answered that prayer, and he strengthened us and sustained us through a very, very difficult season. 
I think about every time we had a staff position opened up. God, give us a, a, give us a good associate pastor. He gave us Kyle, a great one. God, give us a kids director, a worship director. And we got Emily and we got Josh. God has exceeding, he has done exceedingly more than all that we've asked or imagined in this church. Every prayer we've prayed with sincere hearts, he has answered far greater than we anticipated. And I don't know if some of you, every Wednesday morning for the last three years with no weeks off, no holidays, nothing, We've had people logging on to Zoom every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to petition God to do great things on our behalf. The prayer meeting, our little Zoom prayer meeting, that is the engine room of this church, and I hope it will continue to be. Because the things we have prayed in that little Zoom meeting room has been the, the engine that has driven what God has done in our church in the last three years. And as, the, as you enter into a transition season, as this church enters into a transition season looking for a new pastor, a transition of leadership, all of that, I just simply want to say to you, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Because that is where the good stuff happens. And God loves to answer the prayers of his people. Third thing I want you to see is that the local church is God's instrument or the third thing, I don't want you to see. This is what you've taught me. The local church is God's instrument for demonstrating his fatherly love towards sinners. You know, my, one of my favorite parable in the Bible is Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. Story of a son who told his dad, Dad, I don't want to be a part of the family anymore. I don't care about you, don't love you, don't want anything to do with you, but what I do want is my inheritance. Give me my share of the inheritance. I'm out of here. And the father for whatever reason, decides to grant this request to his son. It says, here, his son takes the inheritance, runs off into a foreign land, spends it all on you know, crazy living and squanders it and finds himself at rock bottom after he's broke and after he's made a fool of himself and after he's kind of made all his mistakes. And he finds himself at rock bottom and he goes, I've made a mess of my life. I've screwed up, I've messed up, I've done things I never thought I would do, I've squandered everything that's ever been given to me. And a thought enters into his mind. He says, I wonder, I wonder if I could go back to my dad's house and maybe my dad would accept me as a servant. That was his best case scenario. Maybe he'll just let me back in the house and maybe I can work for him. And so the son kind of with great humility and with great fear, he begins walking back toward his father's house. But the scriptures say that he arose and came to his father. And in one of my favorite sentences in all of the Bible, it's this. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robes and put it on my son, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. And one of the things that I've always loved about Crossroads is we have been a place that welcomes the prodigals. And there are a lot of you in this church that your story is this. 
you ran far from God. You went out, you did the things you said you would never do. You found yourself in a place you never thought you would be. And a decade later, you said, you know what? I might go back to church. But as you, and you would look at the website and you'd say, I'm going to go this week. And you know, maybe not this week. Whew, I'm too nervous. I'm, I'm going to go this week. Oh, maybe not this week. I'm too nervous. And then finally you decide, this is the week I'm going to go. So you hop on the train. You start making your way toward crossroads. And you're like, why am I going to this church? They meet in a school. They meet in another church at 3 p.m. What am I doing here? And you start walking up and you start shaking. And you feel nervous as you walk up to the steps of the church. And you wonder, am I going to be accepted? Are they going to judge me? What's going to happen to me when I enter through these doors? And you are met by Wanda, our first impressions team. And they give you a hug. They embrace you. And they say, we are so glad you're here. And the walls fall down. And you experience the grace of God through the people of God. And I hope that that has been the story of some of you in this room. That you came here, you we're afraid of what we might think of you. But you came and you felt the love of God through Wanda, through our First Impressions team, through our groups, through our people, through our kids team. And you found a home at this church, I hope. And as you found a home here, you were able to surrender your life, to repent, to turn from your sin and find hope again. All the while experiencing love and welcome here in our church. Another thing that you've taught me is that the greatest work of the local church is hidden. The greatest work of the local church is hidden. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward in, from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. One of the most superficial ways you can judge a church is by how good the music and the sermons and the programs are. If that is how you judge the success of a church, I'm here to tell you that is the most superficial way you can judge a church. What I have learned from this church is that the greatest work of the local church are the things that are never seen. The best things that a local church has to offer is not sermons and songs and programs, although those, those things hopefully are very good. Hopefully you've heard a few good sermons over the last seven and a half years. I sure hope so. But the best thing that the, any local church should have to offer is faithful people doing generous things behind the scenes, caring for one another. I can't tell you how many times that I have found out from other people, months after the fact, the incredibly generous blessings that people in this church have offered to one another. I mean, it's like, I'm, feel, I'm the pastor of the church. I feel like I should know everything, right? And then I find out six months later, it's like, oh yeah, um, I, was on, I fell on hard times and this person paid my utility bills. This person in the church paid my rent for two months. Many of you know this. Many of you have fallen on hard times and another church member has quietly paid your cell phone bill, watched your kids, brought you groceries, wrote a handwritten note of encouragement to you, 
sent you a text message telling them that they're praying for you. Perhaps you had a time where your growth group rallied around you to support you and your family. Perhaps someone in the church has offered to read scripture with you, to teach you how to read your Bible, to teach you how to pray, to mentor you. This is the local church at its very best. Not this, but it's you loving one another behind the scenes, not for applause, not so we can put it on the website or on Instagram or whatever, but just because God has commanded us to love one another. Jesus even said that the way that this city, the way that the world will know that we are his disciples is not by the sermons we preach or the songs we sing or the cool things we do, but by the way we love one another. And goodness gracious, Crossroads, you love each other really well. And I've been on the receiving end of this love more times than I can count. You know, the first few Christmases and Thanksgiving that my wife and I were in New York, we were far from home, didn't have any family here. And Andy and Eleanor Latouche invited us into their homes, cooked us dinner, and treated us like we were part of the family on those holidays. One time, my family had a bad sickness go through our home. We were all sick from, you know, little Annie all the way up to me. And I remember Kathy Garrett brought a huge bowl of chicken noodle soup that fed the whole family. And she said, this should make you feel better. I remember a few years ago when I was in the hospital and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. Within just a few hours of me being admitted into the hospital at one of the scariest times in our family's life, John and Lisa Chua had stocked our pantry and our refrigerator, and not with like bread and milk, with like steaks and like salmon. I was too sick when we got out of the hospital to eat it, but the gesture meant the world to me. I think of the countless letters and emails and texts of encouragement that you all have sent me over the years, Lorraine Ward being the number one encourager of all of you. I get a text message every week from her, and it means everything to me. I think of the way you guys have loved my son. You guys have, thank you. That's the local church at its best. The quality of a local church does not depend on who the pastor is. It's the people, it's the people. The quality of a local church is not determined by who's on the leadership page on the website. It's determined by the people in the pews loving each other well. It's people honoring God by loving one another. Another thing you guys have taught me is that there is no greater joy than seeing people give their lives to Jesus. A few weeks ago, I kind of just went through my memory and started writing down all of the people who have given their lives to Jesus and been baptized over the last eight years at Crossroads. And I know I missed quite a few people, but I, was able, I wrote down 36 names, just to name a few of them. Smirtha Jane, Lynn Lamar, Alejandro Swabi, Diane Gallo, Jennifer Hernandez, Brendan Hernandez, Andy Batansis, Louis Vargas, Graham Ogilvie, Vanessa Acosta, Zamaris Acosta, Kathy Soto, 
Joseph Soto, Jason Delone, Melissa Lopez, and on and on and on. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Every single time we blew up that inflatable kiddie pool, like, how, like, just how, like, how absurd is it? But how beautiful is it? Every single time we blew up that kiddie pool, heaven went wild. And, you know, we pray every week, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we're praying is, what's going on in heaven, God, let us experience a taste of it here. And the scriptures say that every time someone is baptized and comes to know Jesus, that heaven goes crazy. And I think of all the times we baptized, whether it was out there in that courtyard, whether it was in the hallway of telecommunications high school, whether it was in the courtyard of telecommunications high school, whether it was at our office, or whether it was at Coney Island. We have baptized people all over the city in that inflatable pool. And every time we did, there were cheers and shouts and wet hugs And we got to experience a taste of what heaven was like in those moments. Some of the most fun moments in this church have been those baptism ceremonies. There is no greater joy than seeing people come to know Jesus. You know, the scriptures say that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And every time someone believes in him, there is great joy. Final thing you've taught me is that God is with us. It's Advent, so I have to end this way. God is with us, and you've taught me that. When John Wesley, the great preacher and founder of the Methodist movement, was on his deathbed, one of the last sentences he ever uttered was this. He said, the best thing of all, God is with us. John Wesley understood that above all the high theology And the various things we can ponder about God, the greatest truth of Christianity is this, God is with us. Those were some of Wesley's final words to his loved ones, and they will be some of my final words to you. The best thing of all, God is with us. We're a week away from Christmas, and during this season, we're called to reflect a great deal on this truth that God is with us. He's with us even when things seem dark. God was with the people of Israel as they waited for a Messiah for years and years and years and years. God was with Mary and Joseph that evening when they couldn't find a place to stay and it was dark. But in the darkness, light shined and a child was born and his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God has remained with us through it all. If there's anything that can be said of Crossroads, Throughout our history as a church, it's this. God has been with us every step of the way. We sing that song, never once have we ever walked alone. And that's been true here at Crossroads all the way. And I, need to remind, I want to remind you of this. Some of you have been around a long time, you know this. But God has been with this church since its inception. Before I was even the pastor. And God's been with this church through some hard things. Before I was the pastor, you guys may remember in 2012, this church got kicked out of its meeting space and had to scatter into house churches for nearly two years. That kills most churches, you know? No kids ministry, nowhere to put your kids. It's just people in homes, you know, talking to one another, eating. 
Most people are like, no, I need a church with big programs. That would kill most churches. But that turned out to be one of the strongest times for this church to grow in its love and community with one another. In 2014, the founding pastor of the church resigned. That can throw a church into chaos at times. But this church, God was with you. And, pressed for, and you pressed forward with hope. And then in 2015, you hired a 29-year-old kid who had never been a senior pastor before, who didn't know a thing about how to lead a church in Brooklyn. And when I got here, things were hard. We had very little money as a church. I was kind of cutting my teeth as a pastor. I made a lot of mistakes. This church, we didn't have a lot of resources, but yet God blessed this church. And people came to know Jesus. And we came to love one another. And God blessed us. We grew. It was a great time. Then 2020 hit and COVID hit this church. And there were times where Kyle and I were crunching the numbers as we looked at finances, as we looked at people, one conversation after another. Hey, we're leaving the city. We're moving to Florida. We're moving to Texas. We're moving to North Carolina. <laughs> we're moving to New Jersey. You know, it's like constant, constant we're leavings. And I remember just thinking, how are we going to make it through this thing? Yet here we are. God was with us. And God is with you. And if you keep your eyes on his son, Jesus, he will remain with you. God has a purpose for this church. Like I said earlier, a lot of churches in this neighborhood didn't make it through COVID. And yet here we are. We're growing. We're thriving again. God has a purpose for this church. He is not finished with Crossroads Christian Church. And God is faithful. His very name is Emmanuel, and he is true to his name. So I simply want to say to you, do not be afraid of transition. Do not be afraid of what's ahead because God is with you. And he who is with you is greater than he who is in the world. And I've been thinking over the last few weeks, how do I finish this sermon? How do I, what do I say? And so I just started reading through the New Testament of Paul's letters going, what does he say to these churches that he pastored and then left and moved on? And I found Philippians chapter one, verse three, and I feel like this sums up better than anything I could ever pray or say to you. And from the bottom of my heart, I wanna read these words to you. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every, every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Crossroads, thank you for the honor of being your pastor for the last seven and a half years and thank you for all that you have taught me. In a few weeks, I'll be in a U-Haul once again and I'll be going the other direction over the Verrazano. And as I do, 
I'll probably play that same cheesy worship song again. But I'll pray with great gratitude for what you gave me and my family over the last seven and a half years. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your kindness and for your mercy and for your grace. God, we thank you that you have given us the church. What a strange gift you've given us. You've given us your people, sinners, imperfect people, to show your love to one another and to take your message to the world. And so, God, we, I pray for this church. I thank you of all the things we've, been, we've seen you do as we've served together. And God, I thank you for all that you're going to continue to do through this church by your spirit. We thank you, God, that you sent your son to die in our place so that we can know you, be reconciled to you, so that we can have a future, a new name, an inheritance, and so that we can be born again into new life. And so God, thank you for the memories, but more than anything, thank you for the mission that you've given this church. And I trust and I'm confident that you who began a good work in this church, you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.